Today on the Kuehl Podcast, we're going to talk about some of the notable signings from this past week of the NHL, including the Toronto Maple Leafs signing another top defenseman out of Europe and Long Island University. You ever heard of it? Well, we're going to talk about it because they are the new program in Division I men's college hockey. We'll talk about those two big topics and more on this episode of the Kuehl Podcast. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Kuehl Podcast. I am your host once again, the insider to the insiders, Tyler Kuehl. And we have us a rather interesting show set up here today. I was wondering what we were going to talk about. Then again, that has pretty much been the, I guess, the, the motto, the trend, if you will, over this coronavirus pandemic. However, we have things to talk about, a few big things to talk about. And then just, you know, me rambling on about a bunch of nonsense for... 10 to 15 minutes to more or less fill time. But I am interested to see how you're all doing. How are you guys all doing through all this? You guys getting better? Are you guys protesting? If you are, calm down. Relax. We'll get through this together. Seriously, I mean, just, just, just calm down. Everyone will be okay. But tell us how you're all doing. What are you guys eating today? Cinco de Mayo, by the way. May the 5th. Already had my tacos. I'm going to have a margarita after the recording this podcast. I know, right? Tyler's going to wait to have a drink? Shocker. No, yes, today I'm going to do this one nice and calm and relaxed, and then afterward we're going to get... I, I was going to say uh, one of those fad things the kids say these days. What, what is it? What is it? Lit or turnt? Going to get turnt? No, we're not going to do that. Mainly because, I mean, I'm all by myself here in the apartment tonight. Kelly is at work at the hospital, one of our many essential workers, and us here at the Kiel Podcast, we always clap for those essential workers, not just the nurses putting their lives on the line in the hospitals, but also everyone that is doing their part to help us through this pandemic, including all of our grocery workers, even our gas station clerks. I, I mean, yes, yeah, some of us probably wish that the hairstylist would be, you know, an essential worker, but we're getting close, folks. We're getting close as I knock on the wood of this table. Now, we can get into the whole thing about the second wave, but realistically, folks, we're just going to have to just stick with it and go outside and kind of, well, you know, get a, kind of expose ourselves to it to some extent. I mean, let's be honest. As we have learned in the past few days, that no longer is the, no longer is the coronavirus our big problem anymore. It has now become the murder hornet. Guys, yeah, we have us a problem. 2020. Like it, does it just seem like it's getting progressively worse like every year? Like everyone's like, ah, oh, 2015 sucked. Ah, 2016 sucked. 17, 18, 19. They all stunk. 2020 is going to be the, oh my gosh, it's the worst thing ever. Well, per se, I mean, you know, I've had a nice long extended honeymoon with the wife, so it's getting a little old, but it's okay. It could be worse. But this murder hornet thing. 
you know, as if it just can't, just 2020 just can't give you another kick in the rear. We have seven more months of this year. I, I'll be honest with you, it's it's been such a weird year because the month of January for me, because I had the GLI right at the beginning and then I had so much hockey going on, it just went by really fast. February had the remainder of the regular season for my broadcasting and you know we're getting ready for the for the trade deadline here on the show, on the podcast, in the NHL, and then, boom, the wedding happens. Wedding goes by. Went by really fast, by the way. I don't know if I've ever really gone into that. And then we go to Jamaica. We're there for a week. And it was weird because that wasn't long, but it wasn't short either. So it was kind of a good median between the two, good happy median. And then all of a sudden we come back to disarray. Come back the second week of March, and that's when everything just hit. A complete just wham! Stop. Everything. March just went absolutely slow motion. Just dragged along forever. And then all of a sudden, April just comes by and just boom right by us. And now we're into May, and it's like, okay, how are we doing? This is great. Now it's turned into, all right, it's going to be over here, right? Well, wrong. Listen, folks, it took at least, what was it, three or four years for everyone to kind of get over the flu, the Spanish flu in the early 20th century. It's going to be that way with this, folks. Eventually, we're all going to have to go out of our houses, and some of us are going to get a little sick. Some of us are going to be able to adapt to it. There, it's just no way around it. We can't just sit at home all the time. Now, I now I, yes, and I say that, and I'm like, well, Tyler, you mock the protesters. Yes, I mock the protesters because you're jamming. You're, you're like, you're. There's a way to avoid the problem, and then there's creating the problem. Yes, we go outside. We keep our distance. Don't you know? Ever mind your neighbor. Don't come in contact something you're not you know, comfortable with, stuff like that. That's something we can do. When you're just going to jam 500 people into the Capitol building, that's what happened in Michigan, by the way, in Lansing. That's, I'm just not the U.S. Capitol, not D.C. That would never happen. I'm talking in Lansing, Michigan. That's what happened. And just complete and utter disarray. So I'm just going to say this, folks. I hope, I hope that by... Canada Day, 4th of July, that time. Now we're all on about. We may not be going to sporting events. We may not be, you know, clamoring at the door to go to the bar with friends. But we'll be able to go out and enjoy the fresh air and actually go out to, you know, maybe go to a theme park. Maybe go to a golf course. Well, the golf courses are open, but on a golf cart is what I should say. It's going to be an adjustment. We're going to have to change how we live. That is the end of my shmeal with the coronavirus. Because I can... It's funny, because I remember the podcast, Alex and myself, and even Kelly, when she was here, we talked about how the coronavirus was affecting hockey. And that was at a time when the NHL was going to consider playing in front of empty arenas and still continue on their season before the full shutdown happened. It's... 
such a 180 from then till now, because now we're talking about bringing back the season, re, you know, get re kickstarting the season to an empty to empty arenas, and now we're looking at the economic dysfunction. I've talked to a lot of people around the game, not necessarily NHL folks, but you know, AHL folks, ECHL broadcasters, NCAA colleagues, and it's. There's just so much uncertainty right now, not just for this season, because we talked about the AHL last week here on the Kill Podcast, and it's, you know, we were concerned about, you know, how they're going to cancel their season, what about next season, and, you know, there's a lot of questions. There's not, I don't want to say not, no, there's no confidence, there's no optimism, but, you know, it, it's the money aspect. It's the financial burdens right now of it of the country we're going to be living in. It's going to be kind of sort of a Great Depression all over again. Now, I understand there was a little bit of a decade gap between the Spanish influenza and the Great Depression of the stock market that crashed in 1929. So, how is this going to happen? And how is this going to affect... I don't want to go how it's going to go into affect sports because... If anyone who's a real hockey historian knows how the NHL worked in those early days and the th- early 30s and such, it was just because it was only the league was only at that point in the Great Depression was a little over a decade old. They were not, you know, really the powerhouse league that it is now. There were so many pro leagues around that time that end up having to fold around the Great Depression. And yes, there are some great feats that happened during that time. Of course, the Maple Leaf Gardens was built during the Great Depression. The Montreal Canadiens dynasty really started to kick off. Everyone, I, It's kind of a chuckle because Maurice Richard became a Montreal Canadian during that time. So yes, if you're, if you're a Francophone, if you're from Quebec, you probably think the Great Depression was the greatest thing that ever happened because it gave you the rocket. Well, maybe not necessarily true. However, that said, sports will still go on. It's just going to be an adjustment period for all of us. And that's what we're going to have to look forward in the not just the coming months, but the coming years. But don't worry. We'll be here for you throughout all of it. Because you want to know why? Because nobody has to worry about firing us because nobody pays us. It's great. Nobody can stop us. Well, okay, actually, that's not true. Someone can probably you know, flag us on Twitter for being... We're not inappropriate. We we bleep out the swear words. We don't say anything derogatory. We don't say anything mean. Well, you know, egregiously mean, that is. I don't know. I mean, I guess if we maybe chirp Bruins fans too many times, maybe maybe not. I'm not quite sure. I, I was actually, speaking of the Bruins, I was talking to a couple of broadcasters because I had been sending out my demos to pro broadcasters around the country and around the around North America for that matter, NHL, AHL, ECHL, whatnot. And I was talking to one and we were talking about Jack Edwards. And if some of you guys remember, if you're old enough, Jack Edwards was not just the play-by-play broadcaster for the Boston Bruins. He was the play-by-play guy or one of the play-by-play broadcasters for NHL and ESPN. Did a lot of games on ESPN too. And he's also a sports center anchor as well. And if you're really old, okay, I don't say really old because it was my early youth, Jack Edwards actually used to commentate 
on X Games. It went, well, I don't say at the same time, but it was back when ESPN didn't really have like Sal Masakela and all of the cool, I don't say the cool guys, but all of their unique broadcasters for the X Games when it was just, they have Chris Fowler hosting the X Games, the Extreme Games, and then they had Jack Edwards commentating on BMX Park and Skateboard Vert. That is, was the, the 90s were weird, guys. The 90s were a strange time. But we were talking about how he was such a neutral broadcaster then, and now how we all mock him for being the Homer Boston Bruins broadcaster for Nesson. And, you know, we said that's how it kind of developed into that. And we just talked about, you know, how, how you can be a neutral broadcaster for a national, but then you become a broadcaster for a team or for a region, and you start to kind of adapt into that environment. I mean, I don't know what I, I mean, I've, I'm slightly biased towards my work at Davenport. So when we play teams like Grand Valley and Calvin in the area, Calvin University, if you don't know those schools, that's totally fine. Yeah, I will favor Davenport. But you put me on a state championship broadcast or an ACHA national broadcast, I will respect that there are two teams here and that I have to call it right down the middle. Like an official. Because I'm an official broadcaster. Nobody? Okay. Forgot. I'm an empty room. Empty apartment. Yeah. I'm sure the walls are laughing if, you know, they were not solid and lifeless and Eh, who am I kidding? These walls probably talk, just not what I'm here. Anyhoot, let's get to the meat of the episode. Let's talk about the big news that happened last week. Going to, speaking of college, how about some college hockey news? On Thursday, by the way, let's just be honest here. College hockey had been pretty darn dormant with their, with news, I guess. At least the pro sports were saying how they were trying to get back into the swing of things, how NHL was setting up a plan for coming back, and they're still trying to do that. And, you know, the Major League Baseball, was there was a possibility that maybe a July startup is a possibility as well. And NBA, I don't know what the NBA is doing. But the NFL will still go on as scheduled and so on and so forth. But college hockey's been pretty quiet. College sports, for that matter. I mean, yeah, there's signing day and all that stuff, but... Other than that, it's been pretty ho-hum. However, that changed. All of a sudden, on one Thursday, April the 30th, 2020, is when Long Island University, who, I'm not kidding, before Thursday, I did not know it existed. And... Yes, for me being a women's college, women's college hockey fan that I claim that I am, I did not know this team existed. Let's kind of go into what happened here. On Thursday morning, was it Thursday morning? It was around that time. It was pretty early, I would think. Or Thursday afternoon, excuse me. I probably just woken up. Listen, guys, I've been staying up well past midnight these days just because nobody's I have no reason to worry about getting up in the morning. I'm. It feels like I'm in high school summertime again. I stay up until about 3 o'clock in the morning, wake up at 11 when it's sunny out, and go through my day, and then go back to bed at 3 o'clock. But regardless, it was early for me. But on Thursday, Long Island University announces the addition of men's ice hockey. 
that's awesome. They'll be the 60. Okay, that's cool. They'll be the 61st program in the NCAA Division One. Great news. Awesome stuff. Glad to hear it. Here's the kicker. President Dr. Kimberly R. Klein, in conjunction with the Long Island University Athletic Director, Dr. William E. Martinov Jr., announced that they'll have a team with immediate recruitment and competition slated to begin in 2020-2021. Guys, that is less than five months away. Guys... Hello, somebody help, help me understand what's going on here. I'm, I'm incredibly curious, okay, because there has been talk for some time that the University of Illinois was going to get a Division I hockey team because they have a very successful club program, a lot of financial backing, their own rink on campus they could pull off getting a Division I team. There was also talks that Navy was going to make the jump into Division I, in particular into the Atlantic Hockey Association, which would put the three military academies, Air Force, West Point, and Navy, all within one conference, which would be awesome. It'd be great. Just where did this all come about? And I did some deep dive, and I actually wrote a piece for the hockey writers as well, which I will throw in the link of today's episode for your, your reading pleasure, at least. Did some looking into it. And I follow, I'm a good fan, big fan of college hockey news, which I always advise everyone to go out and check out. And Adam Odon, one of the head editors and head writers over there, wrote a piece about it, and it was a very detailed piece about how kind of crazy that this all came about so quickly. And let's kind of go back to last summer. The women's hockey team was announced, or at least began playing. And they recruited a lot of young, talented players, some freshmen, and so on and so forth. And kind of had a ragtag group. And here they go. They're going to start playing hockey. And they start off the season by getting hammered by... Interleague interconference competition, and most notably losing to two games to number one Wisconsin, and by a combined score of twenty-two to two in two games, including one game at the Nassau Coliseum, the one game that the Lady Sharks played at, and they did not do well early on the season. They lost, I believe, it was their first seven games. They started off the season one in eight. And then they finally dove into their conference action, which is the New England Women's Hockey Alliance, which is a six-team conference, which includes St. Michael's College, Sacred Heart University, Post University, Franklin Pierce University, and including LIU. And they had a pretty good run. They went 11-9 in conference play, so they finished close. By the way, also St. Aslam. I almost forgot St. Aslam. And they had a pretty good run down the stretch. Ended the season on a pretty good run. They, I think they won like five of their last seven or something like that. And they they went into the conference tournament not as the highest seed, but they were the four seed. So they had a pretty good look on where they were going to finish. And they did very well. They didn't allow a single goal. 
in their conference tournament, beating St. Michael's and number one seed Sacred Heart in the semis before beating St. Aslam in a one nothing game to win the new hot championship in their first season. So overall, not the regular season record, but the conference competition, they were really good. Had a good record, able to win it. Great, awesome. So good success, good times, and yes, they were not able to compete in nationals because, well, coronavirus. Lovely, right? Now, all of a sudden, they decide they're going to dive into the pool, which, by the way, the women's team is a Division I program. They dive into men's D1 now. And from what I have read, they obviously, they already stated that they're going to begin looking for a coach immediately to begin the recruitment process immediately. And I'm, I'm waiting for the crickets. Crickets anywhere? No crickets in my room? Okay. Nothing has happened yet. But Tyler, it's only been three business days. How could you how could you expect a quick turnaround like this? Because you have to recruit a 18 oh, you have you have 18 total scholarships, 18 full rides, but 20 plus man roster in 5 months. And you have to get those kids admitted to school as well. Guys, this I mean, we're not going to even get to the financial part yet. To actually get a competitive hockey club on the ice, this may be a big problem. I mean, you look at the two of the latest additions to men's D1, Arizona State in 15-16 and Penn State in 12-13. They did not have good seasons. Penn State was a little bit better, I would say than Arizona State's first year. By the way, Arizona State, who went 3-22 and against Division I opponents. But both of them were kind of smart and had a hybrid schedule. And by that, I mean not just Division I teams. They, they both played the U.S. National Development U18 team, which I think Penn State actually beat, but Arizona State didn't. But good competition. But they also played NCAA D3 teams and a couple of the top ACHA D1 teams, which... Which is funny because Arizona State played Penn State back when Penn State's first season of an as an NCAA program, but of course both those teams had successful runs at the Division One ACHA level. LIU didn't even have an ACHA team beforehand. There is no men's hockey before this, no history of it, at least. So. Now we're coming to a point where you wonder what kind of was the thinking behind all this. Because not just the fact that you're going to try to jam a team. I mean, why couldn't you wait one season? Given the definite uncertainty that is surrounding collegiate sports for next season. There have been so many programs that have already started to claim that they don't want to play next fall. And now you're coming out and claiming that you're going to have your team play against who? You couldn't wait until 2021, 2022 when there was a more, I guess, certainty that you were going to play, for lack of a better term. The idea of having a conference opponent or being involved in a conference is kind of out of the question at this point because the ECAC is not going to have any openings. AHA is apparently, according to Mike Mahan or Mike 
Matt, Mike Mann of the College Hockey News has already said that there's talks that Navy has that spot set for them, which I did mention earlier. And so now you have to wonder, well, how is it going to work? How is this team going to put it all together so quickly? Well, the AD Martinovs came out and said that they want to have at least a 20-game schedule and then try to fill in some games with teams that are not willing to travel. So let's look at who they'd have to play. In the northeast of the country, there is Hockey East, the Atlantic Hockey, and the ECAC. Of those three conferences, nine, nine were in the top 20 at the end of the season. AIC, American International College, was the only school from the Atlantic Hockey Association that was in the top 20. The number one team was Cornell. But then you had Boston University. You had Clarkson mixed in there. You had Knipiak mixed in there. And then you had your Northeastern towards the back end. You had a few good teams there. So even if you play, though, lower-end teams like a West Point, like a, I don't even say, not, I don't want to say Yale, but you play those middle-of-the-pack teams, you play your Harvards and so on, you are looking at a even you know Princeton or Dartmouth whatnot you're looking at going up against programs that have been a established for years and b already have their commitments set and have pretty much a well-based hockey program with a, with great foundation and money already being put towards them why now and what makes them think they're going to be a competitive team next year, given how late this is a turnaround? And I'm, I'm okay with making this, this analogy. I don't say this analogy, but this kind of history repeats itself type deal. Women's coach here at Davenport, Matt Sikosin, was hired in April and was expected to recruit new talent for the team. He hadn't been on the job for five seconds, and he's going to try to put more. And he, that was already a program that had been around for at least half a decade. Now he's now he's doing a better job with you know being one year in, but you're asking a coach to come in and build a staff of apparently two coaches. We'll get to that here in a second to recruit an entire team that is not going to get pummeled every night. And is I mean what what the expectations can't be big. At least win a game is that your expectation? Now let's get into the the nitty-gritty part, the stuff that nobody wants to talk about, but we're going to get into it anyways. The money, the cash, the dough, the Monero, whatever you want to call it, we have to talk about it because while the official budget has not been posted yet, trust me, I've already asked people that nobody's claiming, nobody's saying anything. The coaching budget, according to both Adam Modon and Mike Mahan, they have already put out there the actual budget for the coaching staff. So for one head coach and two assistant coaches, the total dollar amount, the combined salary of those three gentlemen, or gentlewomen, it can be a woman's coach, whatever you want, $150,000. All right. So who's getting fired? No, seriously, guys. 150000 
and I've talked to, and as I said in my hockey writer's piece that I finished earlier this morning, I went to many SID, sports information directors, across the WCHA because having worked with Ferris State, I've been able to come in contact with a lot of them. So I have working relationships, at least in a minimal sense. And I told them and I asked them about this. And I'm like, you know, where, what, do, what do coaches in the WCHA get paid? And every single one of them that I asked say, every coach in the WCHA makes six figures. Every coach in the WCHA. Now, I can't confirm that that's how it works for Atlantic hockey and some of the lower ECAC teams. I can't prove that in some of the Ivy League schools. However, if you're looking to try to be a competitive hockey team, you got to pay your coach well. If some of the, and by the way, you know, we're talking about teams in the WCHA like Lake Superior State and Ferris State that are kind of on the lower ends of the team budgets in compared to the rest of the WCHA. Imagine going to the NCHC with Denver, Colorado College, North Dakota, and then even, I mean, even Arizona State, I'm pretty sure, pays the coach as well. Hockey East, Boston University, Boston College. You think you think Jerry York is making less than hundred grand? You out of your mind? That man has been around the collegiate game. There's a reason why he's a Hall of Famer. Shoot, you go to the Big Ten. You, you're telling me Mel Pearson ain't making a buck and a half? You're telling me that Dan Cole didn't get a pay raise from the U.S. National Development Team to go coach with the Spartans, his former team, his alma mater? Come on, guys. These guys are getting paid well. But you're going to tell me that you're going to... And say Long Island does give their head coach six figures. You're going to tell me that you're going to pay your head coach 100 grand and then give your assistant coaches who are going to have to spend their livelihood, their time, and their money to help recruit and put all of their resources into coaching this hockey team for 25 grand. They're going to up move their families for 25 grand. Okay. I have questions. What are they thinking? Seriously. Be- and there's already been reported coaches, there are at least coaches that have been reportedly contacted, both Division One assistants, Division Three head coaches, and so on, that have all said no. How can you expect to put a competitive team together when you can't even get a higher-end assistant coach to take on a new job? I'm not going to say what, I'm not going to try to guess and give a number what the coaches in the USHL or the North American Hockey League get paid because that'd be unfair and I could be way off and I don't want to give false information that way. Don't want to give fake news. But I just want to figure out what it'll take to either give this program, this new program, more money nor to hire a an acceptable coach. Not exceptional, but an, ex- an acceptable coach to help put a team together in this short time frame. Because I'm sure if you're going to try to pull it off now, you have to bring, you have to offer some big money to get a coach and that's, and coaches, plural, that are willing to put the extraordinary effort into getting a brand new team. Because think of if you're actually trying to recruit players. You have to convince players to come to a school which is in Long Island and is about, I think it was 18 minutes from Nassau Coliseum. You have to try to convince them to come play for you, even though they've never been to the campus. They have never 
They probably didn't even know Long Island University existed before this announcement. And you're going to have to expect them to just leave their homes, whether it be the United States, in Canada, overseas, whatever, and say, hey, come play for us. Because you're just asking for trouble with teams and players not liking it after the first year and then leaving, and boom, you're starting all over again. And then now you're being looked at as a program that jumped the gun, failed, and nobody's going to want to go there because clearly there's nothing good that could come with playing for this Sharks hockey team. Now the last little bit of financial issues that we can look at. There have also been reports on what the budget could be. Now, once again, Mike McMahon said on on Twitter on May the 1st, which would have been Saturday or Friday. Friday? Friday. I don't know what day it is anymore, guys. I, yes, I said Thursday with the thing. Friday, Friday morning, Mike McMahon put out there and said that he had talked to a couple sources and he said, if the numbers are correct, that the ice rental could eat up 60% 60 to 70% of their budget. 60% of their budget that would include ice, equipment, travel, and recruiting budget. That the ice rental alone would take all like the portion of your budget that would go to the ice rental, equipment, travel, and recruiting budget, those four big pieces would be taken by one little aspect of ice rental. That is apparently how low this budget is for this hockey club. Guys, hello. There's something's wrong here. I, I understand that I'm not the most business savvy individual and that all I really know is salary cap, and that is to a minimum. However, here I am asking, who expects this program to succeed? Because I once I, I said earlier, guys, I said off top of the show, not even talking about this LIU team. We're heading into an economic failure. We're heading into economic issues, depression, recession, whatever you want to call it. We're going into some deep waters that we're not gonna, we may not be able to get up from in a, for a while. And now this program is going to put forward a Division I team for a low budget. And once again, going back to my discussions with these SIDs across the Midwest, the median budget for to run a Division I hockey team in the NCAA is around 600, 650, 700 grand. Some of the lower end teams are around maybe 30, you know, 350, 300,000. But those have been programs that have been around for a while. And you're kind of looking at more of the Ivy League schools for those, by the way. Because where obviously Ivy League schools, hockey is really not, you know, sports is really not their biggest thing. It's the education and, you know, law school and all that stuff. Or tech school, if you're RPI or engineering, whatever it is. And then some of the big programs, I'm not going to name who, but you can probably take a solid guess. Their budgets are well over a million dollars. I'm not saying those are Big Ten schools, but you could believe it, though, if I said it was a Big Ten school. So now where does... Do you want to guess that it's $400,000? I mean, guys, this is... If if the budget for the coach is one fifty, and the ice rental is taking up 60 to 
of what's, or I guess now I would say what's left of that, but, you know, you could say probably half of what's left of that. I mean, what, where's the money for the scholarships going to be? Where's the money for, to move this team? I mean, what are you hoping that the teams come to you and play at Northwell, you know, Northwell Health Ice Center, a public rink? You're not going to play at Nassau because nobody's going to, you're not going to have any fans. You're not going to be able to rent out that arena. You're going to play at Iceworks there in Siaset? Siaset? Well, how the heck you say that city? Where it's literally smaller than Northwell? You're going to convince Division I hockey programs to go play there? I'm not a, you know, a rocket scientist, but I'm going to say the answer is probably no to that one. Can you imagine? Imagine this. Jerry York gets a phone call one day. Yes, hello. Hello, Jerry. This is the head coach of Long Island University. I would like to know if you'd like to come out and play the Long Island Sharks this weekend, Friday and Saturday, the October the 22nd and 23rd. Well, uh, well, uh, it doesn't sound like we have any games coming up this weekend, but, uh, you know, I don't think, uh, where are you guys playing at again? Northwell Health Ice Center. We're right in between the Bantam AA Islanders and the Midget A Islanders. Oh, uh, yeah, we're going to take a pass on that one there, sir. Uh, uh, we'll talk to you later. Bye. That's probably how it's going to go, per se. I mean, I just, it's tough, guys. I get it. It's tough. And I know you love the ambition of the of Long Island University and their athletic staff, but there's ambitious and then there's crazy. We have hit crazy. There was no borderline with this one, folks. If I had read that article and said they were going to start in 2021, 2022, we're going to start clapping, saying, all right, that's good. Good stuff. Hey, give yourself a year. Yeah, it'll be a little tough with this economic issue, but hey, you have yourself a year to prepare. You get to recruit, get some commitments. You'll be all set to go. You're going to start in five months. You're crazy. But I hope it, you know what? I hope it works out. I really do. I wanted to. You want to know why? I like the growth of college hockey. I want there, my my lovely goal and my lovely goal in life would be to have 100 college hockey programs and have them all across the country from California. I mean, wouldn't you love it? A national championship game here, the 2030 Men's Division One National Championship between the USC Trojans and the Princeton Tigers. That's just kind of fun. I just, for some reason, I thought, like, Princeton, I don't know why. I'm just trying to think of two teams on the opposite ends of the country. Yeah, okay, we can say Maine because Maine's at the top right corner, northeast corner, and then USC's down here in the southwest. USC, by the way, a pretty good college roller hockey team. I don't know if they'd ever want to jump into the men's ice hockey, but I'm just saying it'd be great to have that, and you know, I hope that happens one day. Now, 10 years from now is a little bit of a stretch, but it'd be great to have that happen one day to hit the century mark for total number of programs because... I love college hockey. I, as much as I love major junior, just the environment of going to college hockey games, the student section, it's, it's great. And I love to do the comparison between major junior following, you know, CHL Canadian hockey league to NCAA, because I, people ask me like, what's the difference? And I say that small town feel in junior hockey itself is amazing. When I was in Lucknow, we went to a couple of Wingham Ironman games. Wingham, Ontario. That is Junior C. Not even Major Junior. And we'd go there, and it's a packed barn. 
on a Friday night because in that little town of Wingham, 3,000 people, if that, I mean, that's their team. Even nearby, Listowel. Yes, Letterkenny. Yes, I know, Listowel Cyclones. They still have a great following at their rink because that's their team. I mean, that's why you love going to those Prairie games. Manitoba Junior League is just so much fun to look at because people love jamming themselves into those rinks and, you know, all the all the Junior B leagues because that's, you know, their community. That's their team and their, I mean, even us Lucknow Lancers, we didn't get, you know, we were the senior A team. And, yeah, we didn't get a packed house every night, but we still got a pretty good crowd for a town of what well, was allegedly 1,200 people, but I don't think that was totally correct because I'm pretty sure I met all of them. And it's kind of, I mean, it's great. Love that town to death, but I mean, it's still, it's that community vibe. Whereas college hockey is students on a Saturday night or a Friday night going down to the game and just yelling and screaming and probably having a few too many and just woo, hail to the vectors and ziv, 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 ziv. And, and then Michigan Tech, oh, da, 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 da. I, I don't know what the hell they do. I don't know their words to their chants. I was at the GLI for two days. I didn't understand a single one of their chants, but it sounded like they were having fun. But so that's pretty much the big difference, if you will, for fans of junior hockey and college hockey. And now I say, yes, but Tyler said junior B and junior C. Okay, listen, go to a Brandon Wheat Kings game. Big crowd, hometown crowd. It's great. It's fun. People love them forever. It's how it goes. I mean, I I loved. I mean, yes, there are. It's a little bit different when you get into the GTA for probably you know maybe Mississauga. I mean, I know they have some good crowds, but London always has a good crowd. Windsor has a good crowd, even though they have to compete with Detroit. But then again, Spitfires I think a little bit better of a hockey team than the Red Wings are right now. Nonetheless, I mean, each team has like their own little niche and their own little fan group that will go to all the games around the on around Ontario around the province and even into the States, you know, before the borders were closed. But, so, I mean, it's great. If you can go to a major junior game, go to a CHL game, absolutely. I totally advise you to do it. If you have a chance to go to a college hockey game, try to sit as close as you can to the student section, unless, you know, you don't like loud noises. Well, then, probably don't go. Now, moving on here. This way I realize I have went into the LIU bit for just a minute there. Let's talk about a couple of the, I guess, more notable signings from this past week. Because I'm kind of interested. I, I love looking at the the little I don't say, okay, I hate to say little signings, but the ones that kind of get overlooked. By the way, Ben Harper getting signed by the Nashville Predators, a standard two-way deal for $700,000. Big money there for a 25-year-old defenseman. Yaroslav Halak, the 35 or 34-year-old goaltender, excuse me, going to be getting paid for a one-year contract worth $3.5 million. Not a bad contract whatsoever. I I mean, well, his, his AAV is 3.5. His cap hit is 2.25. It's kind of interesting to look at his contract because his signing bonus is 1.25. His signing bonus is five hundred grand. His base salary is one point seven five. His AAV is three five, but his cap hits two point two five. You know, like I said with my money stuff, not the most savvy with the with the dollar sign next to it. However, still, for a what's presumably going to be a backup goaltender, not a bad contract at all. Let's be honest here, guys. That's not a bad deal 
for a goaltender who, don't forget, a few years ago was probably going to be put on, you know, an island where nobody was going to want to be around him. And he's really worked up his ability. He had a pretty good year. Once again, he had a 919 save percentage and a 239 goals against average and 31 appearances this year. Played even 40 games last year. I mean, it's you almost chuckle because you almost wonder if he may have been better than Tuca. I mean, Tuca's had a great year this year as well. But it's almost like, man, you could almost go with either Yarrow or Tuca and Ned if you're the Bruins and, and even in the playoffs and be totally content and be, you know, still prepared to win the, you know, get a W at any night. So, and I'm sure there's Bruins fans saying, we should have played him in game seven. Okay, calm down, guys. Just, just hush yourselves there. You could have lost in St. Louis in game six, but Tuca helped you win that game. So shut up. But good for Yaroslav Alaka in another year. I'm not surprised, or excuse me, I'm not, not surprised. I'm not surprised. I'm not surprised it's not a multi-year contract. There we go. I'm not surprised it's not multi, multi-year. I would have been surprised it had been more than one year because he is getting a little older and, you know, it's almost the Curtis McElhinney effect where you almost wondered if he's going to be able to pull it off and be as this good for so long. Because granted, yes, in some of those early years with Montreal and a couple of years there with St. Louis, he was one of the best goaltenders in the NHL, probably the most underrated goaltenders. And same thing in his couple of years there with the Islanders, that 2016 year where they were able to get through with Thomas Grice, they were able to get through the Florida Panthers. By the way, remember the Atlantic Division winning Florida Panthers. Let's all remember that. Regardless, good for Yaroslav Halak. One of the other big signings, sticking with goaltenders, ELC contract here for one Dustin Wolf with the Calgary Flames. And guys, if you followed my stuff back on Puck 77 last season, you will know that I was a Dustin Wolf fan. I was pulling for the Everett Silvertips last year to somehow pull it off and go through the WHL playoffs because, man, I was certain that if he got into the finals against Prince Albert, I think they had a, they would have had a chance because he was just so he was so good last year, and and he's so young as well too. He's only 19 years old. He was 18 last season. End up getting knocked out by Spokane in that second round, so they weren't able to make it through to the even the conference finals. So that I think kind of put a little bit of a nick into the California natives' armor, at least against the reputation. But then this past season, he decides that he is going to be the just absolute best goaltender in the league. Now, yes, he didn't play a full season; he only played in forty-six games. However, he was the top goaltender in just about every category. He had a 1.88 goals against average, which was the best goals against average among among qualified WHL goaltenders, meaning he played in a certain number of minutes. Had a 9.35 save percentage, which was the best among qualified goaltenders. 34 wins. Tied for the most among WHL goaltenders with Portland's Joel Hofer. 
which, by the way, Joel Hofer, member Canada gold medal winner. And then you also had him leading the league in shutouts with nine. The closest one after that, I believe, was five, and that is Yuri Patera and Max Paddock of Brandon Wheat Kings and Prince Albert Raiders, respectively. And saves, I believe he was he was not number one, but he was up there. Number one actually goes to Swift Current's Isaac Poulter, but then again, Swift Current gets a thousand shots against them a night. So, I mean, there's kind of no shocker that he has the most saves. But in terms of goals against, he was one of the best as well among active goaltenders. So you look at how good he was throughout the entire season. And it's funny, he does have more goals against allowed than a guy like Shane Farkas from Victoria. However, Shane Farkas had played in just about half as many games or a little bit, I guess, more than half than he did. I'm just saying, guys, I am a Dustin Wolf fan. Yes, he is from an unlikely market in California, even though I don't... Okay, we really can't say that anymore, can we? Because there seems like a lot of players coming from California now. All right, can we? are we going to stop saying that? I'm asking my invisible producer because I'm starting to see things and voices are in my head. So, regardless, he is a very exceptional goaltender. And one of my friends on the Hockey Writers was able to put out a very kind post today uh, talking about Dustin Wolf because and him signing how he's going to be the goaltender of the future for the Calgary Flames. And I can almost agree to that because he is an extremely young goaltender. And he's just, and he's calm, he's collected. He doesn't get too rattled, I would say. But I'm excited to see what's in store for him because, yeah, he's not the biggest goaltender, standing only six foot. But he moves well. He looks like a very veteran-laden goaltender. By the way, that was by Will Tomlinson, that hockey writer's piece you should all check out on Dustin Wolf. But it's hard to... And yes, I know we've seen some goaltenders numbers not necessarily translate to the professional level. You know, Lorraine Brassois took a few years to even get a full-time backup job here in the NHL. Tyler Parsons, unfortunately, hasn't quite worked out. And Tyler Parsons, by the way, a Calgary draft pick beforehand. You know, it's tough to make that jump, but I think with the proper development and his skill set, Dustin Wolf could really be something for the Flames moving forward. I'm excited for him. I'm glad he was able to sign on and get his ELC going. I mean, he may be a guy you see in Stockton next year. I don't expect him to hang out with Big Save Dave and, you know, Cam Talbot. But you never know. You never know. But I would certainly be interested to see what the future is in store for Mr. Wolf. By the way, he only played in one game for Team USA in this past year's World Juniors. I would expect if he gets a chance to go back next year that he is the guy in net for the red, white, and blue. Now, the probably the headline signing of today, or this past week at least, I would say today, but more or less me looking it up today, is the signing of one Miko Lettinen. Miko Lettinen signed his contract yesterday on May the 4th, for all you Star Wars fans, for $925,000 with a signing bonus of $92,500, which is just really 10%. Guys, come on. Come on, Dubas. 
His base salary is actually $832,500 with the signing bonus. A one-year contract for Mr. Lettinen. Now, who is Mikko Lettinen? Well, he's Finnish from Turku, Turku, Finland. He is 26 years old. He's one year older than me because I can math in 94 is one year older than moi. Born in January of 94, if you are curious. And you know what? I did have to do a little research on him beforehand, of course, because I'm not going to say, oh, man, I've known this kid for years. I do remember him, though, because he was on the Finnish World Junior Team back in 2014, played in all seven games with the Finns, and, I mean, very well decorated, won the gold medal that year with the Finns, and I believe that would have been the year, was that the, no, it wasn't. I think that may have actually been, the Casper Kapanen game-winning goal, if I'm if I'm correct. No, it was Rasmus Ristolainen. That's who it was. It wasn't Kapanen. I get my years mixed up. Just leave me be. Rasmus Ristolainen. Yes, you know, the very cocky one, Ristolainen. Yes, that would have been him. Yes, that was him. But that was that very talented Finnish team in Finland. I just, man. I, I love watching them every tournament now, except when they play Canada, because I'm just deathly afraid they're going to beat them every single year. And now it's almost like every time I'm right because every time they play Finland, they have lost. It's not good for anybody. But going back to Letton in here, this is a guy that has earned his dues in Liga, played for TPS for the majority of his career. And it's funny to know how the scoring works over there in the European leagues because even you know guys like Alex Ovechkin didn't score a whole lot. I remember particularly in his draft year and even the year after, he doesn't you don't put up a hundred points in these leagues. Just because the ice is tough and defensively it can get a little tougher for players for you know, especially for talented offensive minded players. But as a defenseman, Miko Lettinen has been able to consistently put up points at all levels, going from junior A and in SM Liga for the U twenty TPS team to on the world junior stage has been a very capable defender. But as he's gotten older, realistically, I'd say since maybe the 16, 17 season, he's kind of blossomed into this exceptional talent. He played for Cuckoo in 16, 17, put up 25 points in 43 games, was a minus 11. Played for Tapra the following season, 17, 18, 29 points in 55 games, including four in the team's 16 playoff games. The next year, he decides to go to the SHL because he wanted to make that step up towards, I guess, more NHL caliber competition. Plays for HV71 and puts a very respectable 24 points in 52 games. Plays for the World Championship team, the Finnish team that beat Canada. And, you know, was able and looked really good. Got seven points in 10 games. Was named one of the all-tournament players, all-tournament team along with guys like Andre Vasilevsky, to name a couple, and then decides to go to the KHL, plays for Jokerit in his home country of Finland, and puts up, I'm going to take my mic away for a second, 49 points! 49 points in 60 games as a defenseman. Guys... A defenseman puts up 49 points in the NHL. He's getting $20 million. 
This guy was putting 49 points in the KHL. He finished sixth in league scoring. And I believe it was, I'm looking at the numbers now, Vadim Shipashov led the league with 65 points. So that's a 16-point difference between your leading defensive score of the league and the top dog. By the way, Linus Omark finishing fourth for all of you former Oilers fans. Nigel Dawes as well. The Kazakhstan left winger putting up 50 points in 59 games. But regardless, it's just mind-boggling to see that just exceptional just jump in production. And you watch his game film and you see how, first of all, a power play threat he is with a great shot. I mean, it's not a superbly hard, like 105 mile an hour slap shot, but it's quick. His release, his wrist shot release is really good. And he's able to get it through traffic. And as a, I'm sure if the National Predators saw that, I'm like, man, this would have been great on our power play three years ago. We couldn't score on a gosh darn empty net. Nonetheless, he is very, he's very good vision from the point, moves the puck well, good skater. And defensively, not too shabby either. You know, obviously, it's a different adjustment going from the NHL to the, or excuse me, from from the KHL, from Europe to the NHL, excuse me, because of the size of the ice and the style of play. But defensively, is good. He finished the season with a plus-minus of plus 26 before the pause. I mean, realistically, guys, he's a fairly capable defenseman at both ends of the ring can help the offense with production, can sit on the back end. But as I say all this, as a Leafs fan, I look in the back of my head and say, yeah, but. Now, but Tyler, yeah, but. What do you mean, yeah, but? Well, look at all the guys that was signed before. Look at all the guys signed before Miko Lettinen. Your Nikita Zaitsevs, your Igor Ojeganovs. I mean, all these players that were highly touted coming out of Europe and kind of just fell flat. And, you know, that could have been the, because it was Mike Babcock coaching. And, you know, maybe some players just couldn't adjust. And you almost wonder, is it going to work with Lettinen? Will Lettinen break this mold of guys that came over it with very high expectations and fairly well-seasoned pro, play, pro players in Europe coming over and, kind of just falling on their keisters and really being more of a doormat than a than an impact player. And I know some people are already coming out and claiming and screaming at the top of their lungs, oh man, this guy's going to be a second, you know, second pair defender, can play the right side, he'll be fine. Let's, let's just calm down, guys. Let's keep our expectations reasonable. Now we can look from what we've seen in his stat line, in the film, he is a very talented defenseman. He... Dom, partner dominated the European game at all the three big leagues, if you will, in Liga, SHL, the Swedish League, and the KHL. Three of the top leagues out there. With the, I mean, I don't know how you, exactly how you'd rank them. I would say the SHL is right behind the KHL, and then you could argue what the third best league is, whether it be the DEL, whether it be the Liga, or maybe, maybe even the National A League in Switzerland. But that said... There is a lot to be excited about for Miko Lennon, if you're a Leafs fan. However, you don't want to get too excited with this guy because you've seen it time and again. 
where a good defenseman comes in and just doesn't do much for long periods of time. Yeah, we saw flashes with Nikita Zaitsev, and you know maybe a guy like Ojeganov would have worked out under a better system. I don't know, but it just you don't want to see another flop, and that's why I believe that the Leafs are smart with just doing a one-year contract. They're going to give him one year and say, "Hey, make it or break it." Because it'd be great if he makes it, awesome. Then Kyle Dubas looks like a genius. The Leafs have another talented, albeit left-handed shooting defenseman, but still a capable D-man on the back end. And you're going to add him to another young core, another part of a young defensive core with some with a couple older players. But you have the young guys like Sandine and Lilligren. So adding him may not may be that kind of bridge between veteran and I don't want to say rookie, but younger slash inexperienced talent in the NHL. So I'll be interested to see how he plays out when he plays out, of course. And, I mean, it's a great move for the Leafs. You're adding defensemen because they do need defensemen because nobody knows yet about Tyson Berry. And obviously you're kind of wondering if you're willing to kind of let Timothy Lilligren off the off the leash yet to try to be and evolve into a top defenseman. And, yes, you saw Martin Marincin. So there's that. I'm really interested to see what the Leafs do with him. But that is it for this week's episode here, folks. Not much more for me to talk about. Be sure to get involved with this week's episode by using the hashtag TheKillPodcast, hashtag TKP. Tweet us at TheKillPodcast. What Star Wars movies did you watch yesterday? You didn't watch any Star Wars movies yesterday? You're wrong. You can just, just stop watching our show. Don't subscribe to it. Don't follow us. Don't listen to us on Spotify. Don't listen to us on SoundCloud, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts iHeartRadio, don't listen to us because you're not a Star Wars fan and yeah. Okay, you, you can still listen to us. Actually, please still listen to us. Just, you know, accept Star Wars because I actually had a pretty interesting tweet yesterday, a thread because I am such a Star Wars fan that I remember, because we watched Return of the Jedi yesterday and Kelly and I sat there and I'm like, you know, it's funny how Luke Skywalker becomes so much stronger between Empire Strikes Back and Return of the Jedi because everyone remembers how Darth Vader pretty much won that battle against Luke. And then Luke is able to come back and pretty much defeat Darth Vader. And I'm like, man, imagine, like, how does this translate to sports? Like, overcoming an enemy after losing to them the year before in years past. And I had a pretty good thread. I put, like, how the Capitals kept losing to the Penguins, Ovechkin's Capitals did, and they finally beat him in 2018. And I said the same thing about, I think I said, you know, the Pistons losing at the Celtics for a couple of years and finally beat him in 88. And then those Pistons having to finally get beaten by Chicago, by the Chicago Bulls when Michael Jordan had lost to him in three straight playoff series. So, you know, just little things like that. I even talked about how the Red Sox in 04 and so on. And, you know, teams that come back and beat their enemy after losing to them in the previous year or so or in the past because, yes, folks, Star Wars does translate to sports. Why do you think Star Wars Night is such a big night at sporting events? Because it is pretty much the closest thing to sci-fi of sports. or you know, not, Except for rollerball. But nobody talks about rollerball. Anywho, that is it for this week's episode, folks. Thank you once again for listening. I am Tyler Kuehl saying we will see you next week here on the Kuehl Podcast. Goodbye!
you know what I really should do now? I mean, I know it's late at night, but I should probably go watch The Clone Wars. Not the movie, the series. All of them? I don't know. We'll see.